Let's open up in John chapter 6. We are walking with Jesus through the Gospel of John. And while walking with Jesus, we find out how He reacts in certain circumstances. And we learn from that. And in chapter 6, which is to me a very interesting chapter, we find that so many people are walking away from Jesus Christ. They're walking away from worshipping Jesus. They're walking away from God. That is the culture we are living in. Young people don't even want to know about God anymore. The world don't want to know about Him. But I can understand that. I can understand that the world is on their own path. But the fact of the matter is these people we're going to talk about today were people who were following Jesus. I can't understand it. If I look back over the years that I've preached the Word of God and people who came into the church and I think about so many of those families, there's a lot of them who's not serving God anymore. They just walked away. And it breaks my heart to think of all of the promise that was with them. When I preach the Word and I can see the Word going into their hearts and I see how the Spirit of God works in hearts. And then over these years I've seen so many people reacting to the Word. But yet later years they are not to be found in the church anymore. And I'm not talking about walking away from the church. I'm talking walking away from Jesus. And that's what we find in this chapter. You know, when we looked at the first part of this chapter, we found a wonderful situation, didn't we? We found Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And it's so wonderful. The Bible says there were crowds that followed Him. We saw a miracle of the water. And then we come to one of the saddest verses for me in the Bible. And that's John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. How sad is that? Many, it, it doesn't say only a few, but it says many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Over the last few months, as we studied through the book of John, I was telling you every Sunday, we are walking with Jesus through the Gospel. We are walking with Jesus. We are preaching with Him every Sunday. But what are you doing during the week? You see, some people come on Sundays and they follow Him with us. But what happens this afternoon? What happens during the week? Are you still walking with Him? Or have you done what these many disciples have done? They went back. You see, for some people, church is only a thing for Sundays. And worshipping Jesus is only for Sundays. But during the week, they go back to their old ways. That's not working with Jesus. That's dangerous, in fact. How is it that that person was so on fire for the Lord, but today when I look at him, he's, he's gone, he's, he turned his back. And I want to say, look at the intent of your heart. Look at your relationship with Jesus. It says that they went back and walked with him no more. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 20, we find a graphic 
demonstration of these people he's talking about. You know this, this parable, the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13 verse 20 he says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I've seen those people over the years. You see, they receive it with joy, the Bible says. Yet, he has no root in himself. No root. But endures only for a while. Why? For when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. You know that word there, the persecution, tribulation means pressure. Pressure. That's the Greek word there. When pressure comes and persecution comes because of the word, what happens? These people then stumble. The word therefore stumble is actually the word skandalizo in Greek. It means there comes a scandal due to sin. You, look, look, let me tell you today, you cannot stand with one feet serving God and with the other feet in the world. You cannot do that. You need to make a decision. In America they had this war, the North versus the South. You know about that war that happened? And there was this one person who was living right on the border. And he heard the account of the armies approaching his farm. And they had the blue jackets and the grey jackets. So this man couldn't make up his mind. Am I going to fight with the northerners or am I going to fight with the southerners? He thought, no, wait a minute, I've got a plan. And he put on grey pants and a blue jacket. I'll be on both sides. And when the army saw this man from both sides standing there on his farm with his grey pants and his blue jacket, the blue guy said, look at that guy, shoot for the legs. The other army said, look at that guy, shoot for the top. You see, the stony ground is like those people. It falls on that hard soil. It doesn't go in and root itself. Tribulation comes. The pressure comes. The persecution comes because of the word. And what happens? They stumble. Stumble because of sin. A scandal is formed. Now, he who received the seed amongst the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. You know what the cares of the world is? The Greek word there means the things that pull your attention away from God. Those are the things that will choke the word. You know what choke means? It means somebody gets a grip around your throat and he, and he presses so hard. He keeps on pressing so hard that it, it takes the life out of you. And this is what happens with the cares of the world. It comes and you receive the Word on a Sunday and you are so excited about the Word. But during the world, the cares of the world comes and He chokes it out of you. By Tuesday, you don't even think about the Word anymore. I don't follow Jesus during the week. I don't walk with Him. You see, this is the danger that is out there. And He becomes unfruitful, the Bible says. You see, these people might have started really on fire for the Lord, but they walked away. 
How sad is that? How terrible is that? John writes about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. These people were never of us. They went out from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You know what he's saying there? He's saying there cometh a test. There cometh a faltering face, and I've seen this over the years in churches. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You know all things because you've got the anointing of the Holy One. So the question are, who are these people who are walking away? And what kind of people are they? How can we identify them? The chapter 6 of John gives us a clear description of these people. Let's have a look. First of all, these people are attracted by crowds. They are attracted by crowds. John chapter 6 verse 2, Then a great multitude follow him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were deceased. These people are attracted by crowds. The people who walk away, they will first look at the crowds and go, Whoa, we need to follow the crowd. Because where the crowd is, there is action. Where's the crowds? Because we follow crowds. And it happens to all of us. You walk past something, you see a group of people standing together, and what happens inside of you? Curiosity. I want to see what's going on there. What's going on there? And they say curiosity kills the cat, isn't it? Have you seen it when something happens on the Monash? There's a crash on the other lane. What happens to the lane? There's no crashing. It comes to nearly stop. But because there's a crowd and a commotion going on on the side, and people are out of their cars, what happens? It draws your attention, and you slow down. This happens. People are drawn by crowds. Look at the prosperity preachers of our day. They know if we can pull the crowds, more people will come. So what are we going to do? We're going to trickle them on the ears. We're going to hear what they say and what they like to be preached, and we're going to preach that. We are not pulled and drawn by crowds. We follow Jesus. So these people are attracted by crowds. Secondly, they are fascinated by the supernatural. John chapter 6 verse 2, The great multitude followed him because they saw the signs. Oh, there is the thing. They are fascinated about these things. They are attracted by a show. And you know what they do is say, they say, look, come God, we are all here, you need to perform now. God does not perform for man. No, no, He heals man and He saves your soul, but He doesn't perform. He's not a monkey on a rope. But these people are attracted by the supernatural. This is the wording they'll use, the spiritual realm. Oh, you've got to get into the spiritual realm, otherwise you won't see these things. And it's the supernatural. And they'll say that you don't have that understanding, that, that revelational knowledge. If you hear these kind of words in sermons, watch out. Taste the sermon. Taste the preacher. Listen, I'm telling you today from this pulpit, if I start using those words, test my sermons. They're all over the net. It's for everybody to listen. And if I put it up there, you can test it. 
and if you find it's not according to the Word of God, you've got all the right in the world to come to me and say, Pastor, that didn't sound right. And I'll tell you one thing, brother and sister, if I'm wrong, I'll come up here and I'll correct it. Yes, we serve a supernatural God. Yes, I know that. Yes, He can do miracles and I've seen that. Yes, there is the gifts of the Spirit and I know that. But I follow Jesus Christ. And you know what? He will show me all things. The Holy Spirit will teach us all things. These people are fascinated by the supernatural. We are here to worship Him. The third thing these people are, they are constantly thinking of earthly things. Listen to them in John 16, 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. These people always, these people who walk away from Jesus, they always think of earthly things. They wanted to make him a king. Why? So that he can look after them. You remember what he did? He gave them food. Five bread and two fishes. He multiplied it. They didn't pay for it. It was a free lunch. It, it was for free. You know, I, I can imagine one person walking there and saying, we got a really good bargain today. That was a great bargain. I didn't have to take one denarii out to pay for this lunch. It was all for free. Man, I like that guy. I like him. I'm going to stick with him. You know why? Because when my belly is, is empty tomorrow morning, I want breakfast. I'm going to keep my denarii in my pocket and see what it can give me. I'm going to, they call it, sponge on him. Have you heard that phrase? I'm going to sponge on him. Because it's all about me. My material things. You know what? If I don't have to pay for food for the next month, how much denarii can I save? Man, I'm going to get a full pocket of denarii. Then I can buy me that smart watch. I don't have to buy food anymore because this guy, I like him. I like him very, very much. And the more I stay with him, the more I like him, because the more he gives me. It's all about material things. But you see, the thing is, it's the same today. People are coming to God and say, what can you give me? Lord, if only you give me this one thing, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. That's the wrong prayer. Uh, that is testing God. Not Jesus didn't even test God like this. And this is the danger of these people. They like material things. That's why people say, young people don't come to church anymore. What do we need to do? We need to give them the material things in church so that they can attract them. I say that's a lot of nonsense. We preach the Word of God. The only thing that will break the yokes of the young people today is the Word of God in spirit and in truth. Oh, they don't come in church and don't want to sit and listen. They play on their iPads and on their iPods. Then mum and dad, you stand up and you take it away so that they listen to the Word of God. You know when I grow up, grew up, families were sitting together in church and the young children, whether they sleep in church, doesn't matter, they listen to the Word of God. I still believe in that. Bring them so that we can preach the Word to them. These people not only constantly thinking about earthly things, but they've got no desire to worship God. No desire. John chapter 6 verse uh, 16 to 21, Jesus walks on the water and he got into the boat and immediately the boat was ashore. These people come in their boats over and they ask him, how did you get here? It must have been a miracle, isn't it? How did you get here? 
They didn't want to worship Him for that. We read in Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, the same account. Matthew writes about this. He says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him. After the miracle, they worshipped Him. They didn't say, show us another sign, the supernatural. They worshipped Him. But these people, they don't want to, they're not interested in worshipping Jesus. It's all about themselves. They say, truly, you are the Son of God. The people came to get more food. We know that. Fifthly, we see these people make demands to God. Oh man, and I hear this so often these days. Yeah, people are making demands and it's preached from pulpits to, do, to make demands. We're going to take heaven with the boldness. I'll tell you where my boldness lies, on my knees. When I come to God in humility, that is our boldness. But these people make demands. They came to Him in John 6, 28. Then they said to Him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? You know what they were looking for? They were looking for the power. Give us this power. What is the power that you are doing to do these miracles? Give us that power. And again, I'm talking about experience. I've been to a conference once which I was invited. And all they did in that place is they laid hands on people and shouted, Power! Power! And I thought by myself, if the power of God truly comes into that place, no man will be able to stand and shout. Every time I read about God coming into man's presence, man fell like dead onto the, onto the ground. And God, and Jesus needs to come and touch them and give them power to stand in the presence of God. But these people are demanding. I've never in my life, I, I, I thought I was never going to see this. When I gave my heart to the Lord, when the Lord called me to ministry... I've had a dear old pastor. He's passed on to the Lord now. You know what he said? He said, people will grow more arrogant before God. And I thought, never. I was young. I was ignorant and everything. But I'll tell you what. Over the years, I haven't seen people in churches so arrogant with God. They think God is their mate. They think God is part of their gang. They put demands on God. You know what? Stand and claim your promises. Yes, I am. I claim my promises in Christ. I don't have to come and stand and claim stuff. No, no, no. It's in Christ. If I've got Christ, I've got it all. And you know what that is? That is the gospel of freedom. Freedom in Christ. It's not works related. Paul goes in Galatians. He writes a whole letter about this stuff. He takes Peter on. He tells him off. It is Christ and Christ alone. These people put a demand on him. No wonder they walk away. No wonder. No wonder. People are, I'll tell you one thing. People are taught nonsense from the pulpits these days. And you know what? It makes weak, weak Christians and they walk away from Christ quickly. You're right, I'm on fire about this. Because, you know, I listen to sermons during the week. I listen wide. And I listen and I think, Lord, and I'm not standing here this morning and saying I'm the only one preaching the truth. You need to test me. But listen to me. We've got a a weak church today because the spirit of the world has entered into the church these days. And no wonder people are walking away, lots of them, like in the days of Jesus. Finally, these people has no interest in a personal relationship with Jesus. 
if you've got a personal relationship with Jesus, you will not walk away from him. I've heard the story of a pastor, it's a true story of a pastor, a young man called him and he said, Pastor, I just can't do it anymore. He says, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to throw it all in. It's so hard to follow Jesus. It's so hard to worship him. It is really, my friends are against me, my family is against me. He says, no, I'm just going to walk away. The pastor said to him, he said, so do it. Walk away. You said you want to do it. Don't follow him anymore. And there's this quietness on the phone. And you know what the young boy said? He said, but I can't do it. He says, I'm compelled to keep on doing it. These people just walked away. They've got no interest in a personal relationship with Jesus. John 6 verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Listen, if you come to me, you will hunger no more. He who comes to me shall never hunger, he says, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Those are the two things people are looking to satisfy, hunger and thirst. And he was now starting to talk to them in in the spiritual not the physical. In this body you will hunger again. They thought, if you keep on giving us this food, then I will never hunger again. He says, come to me, you who are thirsty. What is he saying? He says, have a relationship with me. A personal relationship. Come to Jesus. But they were not interested in this. This is why we find this verse in verse 66. Many of them Many of them walked away. Why? Because of these things. That's the characteristics of people who walk away. And like I say, friends, there's always going to be a sifting. We find it in John chapter 6, verse 36. He says, But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Therein lies the problem. What work shall we do, they said to him? He said that you believe in Him. It's faith. The following passages is one of the most heavy-weighted passages in the Word of God. It comes out of Jesus' own mouth. He says it in verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. I believe in eternal security. I believe that if you're in His hands, that He will keep you. But you see, there's two things which I picked up here. The first thing is, that is in what things? That's the present things, yes? He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's present things. It was present things in those days, it's present things in these days. You see, I believe in eternal selection. And let me explain to you what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe that He called everybody. He says, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that all who believe in Him shall not perish, shall be saved. You see, the thing is, He says, what the Father gives me will come to me. 
There is a calling and there is a pulling that happens. And that's started by God. You see, so many people say, I come to Christ. It's not your will, it's His will. He pulls you to Him. He calls you through His Spirit. And then He goes on here, He says, and then this is the will of the Father sent me, that all that He has given me, it's already been given to Him. What does Jesus do with them? He loses nothing. He says, I should lose nothing. What does the word nothing mean? Nothing. <laughs> That's easy. He says, I will lose nothing. He said, but what about these people who turned away then in verse 66 is after these verses? Well, I just showed you, those were the people who come. They're not truly in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But a sifting will take place. A sifting will take place. Man don't see God. Have you been at the birth of a baby? I mean, Sergei can talk about this now more freshly than us. <laughs> but I've been there when Sharia was born. And I've been there right after they were born. And it's not as if the baby comes out of the womb and go, Praise the Lord! I'm looking for you, God! I'll serve you for the rest of my life! Is that what happened? Oh, praise the Lord! I'm going to search you till the day I die! Is that what babies do when they come out of the womb? No! What do they do? Ah, I need attention! Ah, I'm hungry! Ah, look at me! Ah. Yes? And wait until they start throwing tantrums. <laughs> now, who teaches them those tantrums? Is that what mommy does? If baby is three weeks old, or let's say a month old, is baby lying there in the, in, in the pram and going, and mommy just drops down on the floor, kicks her legs and goes, Oh, I'm going to do what mommy is doing. Is that how they learn tantrums? No! It is built in them. You see... David says, as soon as I were born, I go astray speaking lies. We are born in that nature. It's not as if when a child are born that they come up and go, I'm going to search God. No, man doesn't see God. Romans chapter 3, 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, not one. Does that include you? Does it include me? It is everybody are born. We are born rebels. I know you don't like to hear that, but let me put it to you much more stronger. You are born a sinner. You know what a sinner needs? A saviour. That's what the world don't want to hear anymore. And let me tell you this. Soon, very, very soon, they will throw people like me who say that in jail. Because that's not good for your self-esteem. If I'm telling you, you are lost. Without Christ, you are lost. And you know what you need? You need a saviour. That's it. I'm not saying it. It says, Paul, uh, Paul writes it down here. He says, there's none who seeks after God. But now let me tell you how salvation starts. It starts with God. It says it in those verses there. He says, for all that the Father gives me will come to me. 
where does it start? It starts from the Father, yes? Here we find the verse in John 16, 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus, when He started preaching, what did He preach? He said, Repent! That's what He said. Go read it. It's in your Bible. What did John the Baptist preach? Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do we hear a lot of repentance sermons? No. We need to preach that. How are we going to save the young people of this world? Preach to them, repent of your sin, you're lost. You need a savior. Now, Jesus says to them, he says, it's better for you that I die. And then after me comes the Holy Spirit. And look, we're going to do a teaching in this church on the Holy Spirit, not far from now. And listen to me correctly. I'm not saying the teaching of the signs and the wonders or the power. No. The teaching of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is God? Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a person? And here he talks about that person. He says, after me, after Jesus, who you can touch, who you can see, who you can smell his breath, after me comes another The paraclete, that's the Greek word, the paraclete, who's going to come with you and in you. He's a person. When I depart, I will send him to you. To do what? What is the Holy Spirit doing? And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. That is the first drawing power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, you can hear it through a sermon. I talk about my life. I was invited to a church. I went into the church. I told you this before. I was so full of myself, but I thought I was the best guy on the earth. I thought I was so self-righteous. I sat in church. That pastor started preaching the Word of God, and I realized, oops, I'm in trouble. I thought my girlfriend, then now my wife, I thought she gossiped about me. It's the first time this man ever saw me. I was sitting in, in a packed church right at the back. But every single thing he was talking from that pulpit to that day was me. That day he was preaching the Word of God in spirit and truth. And you know what I felt in my heart? I felt, man, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm lost. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness. You know what righteousness means? Righteousness means to live a life acceptable to God. That's what righteousness means. So if you live a life not acceptable to God, you're living an unrighteous life. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? He comes, He lives in us, He's with us to do what? To teach us to live a righteous life. How does it work? I give my heart to the Lord, but it happened to me this way, it doesn't have to happen with you, but I continued with some of those pretty sins after I gave my life to the Lord. And you know what happens? Every time I do it, there is now this conscience of the Holy Spirit telling me it's wrong. It's wrong. And I'll tell you quickly, a quick testimony about that. Before Christ, I was swearing a lot. Believe it or not. <laughs> I was swearing. I, I, went, I went to the army, okay? And in the army, they train you to be disciplined, but they also train you to smoke, to drink, and to swear. But before that even I, sw- I was swearing, because my nephews did it. 
And it's cool if you say the swear words. And you know what? Let me go one step back. When children are small, parents laugh when they say swear words. Oh, listen to him. But you're teaching your children wrong. But that's a different message. Let's continue. So here I was, swearing. But I gave my heart to the Lord. But every now and then that swear word still came out. And I felt, you know, it doesn't befit a child of God to use those words. But I couldn't help it. Or so I thought. And then I thought, one day I've got a clever plan. Every time I want to use a swear word, I'm going to use the word jackal, which is an animal. And I would be doing something, you know, I would be, let's just call it, I would be knocking away with my hammer and I hit my, my thumb. You know, have you done that before? You can't control what comes out of your mouth, then, man, it's so painful. And I would go bang, bang, ah, jackal! And I felt that's good because I didn't swear. Until the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you've made the word jackal a swear word. That's wrong. You see, you've passed it on. You see what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life? He was convicting me and he, he was showing me a life of righteousness so that I don't swear anymore. Don't replace it with other words. And not only that, of judgment as well. And then he goes on to explain to us, of sin because they do not believe in me. They do not believe in me. What did Jesus say a few passages? He says, um, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe in me. That's a sin. That's where it started in the Garden of Eden. He said it starts with him. John chapter 6 verse 45, he says, It is written in the prophets, as they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It starts with God, salvation. That's why people can't say, look, I'm going to enjoy my life when I'm young, and when I'm old and I lie in my sickbed, then I'll come to Him. Have you heard that? I've heard it so many times. I've dealt with young people. Oh, no, let me enjoy it now, and then, then, you know, I'll come to Him. No, no, the Father calls you to Him. How do you know that your heart will not be so hardened against Him when you're old? They say the chances that you give your heart to the Lord when you're young is much higher than when you're old. They've worked through statistics asking people. Above 35, it becomes a miracle. Why? Because you are so set in your ways. Now, I'm not saying God can't save you. It takes a miracle to save you. But He constantly comes and He knocks on your door. Well, let me correct that. He constantly comes to you through His Holy Spirit. It might be through a song you hear, a gospel song, and all of a sudden you're convicted. It might be through a sermon. It might be through one of your brothers and sisters talking to you about something you do wrong. Or not even wrong, or they just talk in a conversation and the Holy Spirit is constantly there. And He pulls in and He pulls you to Him. You see, the Father pulls you. And what does the Son do? He will not reject you. That is salvation. Now let me finish off this morning. I thought I was going to finish this chapter, but we'll have to. It's, it's, it's another hour. Have you got an hour? <laughs> There's a few worried faces now. But you see, he talks about the prophets. In Romans chapter 10 verse 8, he says, but, but what does it say? The word is near you. I like this verse. 
The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. He says it's the Word, the Word of faith. We preach it, it's near you, it's in your mouth. It, the Word here is the Word Logos. If you go back to John chapter 1 verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is Jesus. And he says, this word is near you, and it's in your mouth. You see, it starts with the Holy Spirit, and then it's backed by the Word of God. This is the right way. Don't believe me, believe the Word. Let me say that again, so that we not get confused about this. It starts with the Holy Spirit, it pulls you, and then it's backed by the Word of God. Not stories, not books, the Word of God. And then what's going to happen? He's going to put the Word of God in you. He's going to put it in you. He says it right there. It's near you and in your mouth and in your heart. You know what happens? It's near you. I'm preaching it today. It goes into your mouth and into your heart. Oh, praise the Lord. You know what happens? Then the generation work starts from the inside out. I don't care how they look when they come into church. They can be some of the people, people say is the vilest sinner. They can smell, they can look whatever they look on the outside. I don't care, bring them in. Because the Word of God's going to go in the heart and clean them from the inside out. I've seen this in my life. And I believe it with all of my heart. This is the way, is Jesus, it comes back to Jesus. It comes back to Jesus. He's the center he says, that is the word of faith we preach. Have you heard about the word of faith movement in the world today? It's not that word of faith. It's this word of faith. The word that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that the Lord has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and the one confession is made unto salvation. Where did Paul get this? Where did he get this? Did he just sit on a chair one day and go, hmm, let me think this out? No, 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 he studied the Scriptures. This is in the Old Testament, concealed. It was there all along. We are privileged to see it in both ways now. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11. And I love this, because God had you on His mind all along. You remember when He says, What the Father gives me, I will by no ways lose. He will not reject you. But when the Father gives you and the Holy Spirit starts working in you, don't resist it. Don't resist it. Yes, there's a work from God, but there's a reaction from man. There is a reaction from man. You can resist God. You can. People are resisting him. And they're turning their backs on him. Look at this verse here, Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. And this is going to get me excited because I love this word. He says, For the commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you. Don't you love that word? Look at this. He says that it is not too mysterious for you. But for a lot of people today it's still a mystery. But not for you. Who's making that mystery going away? The Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. Look at this now. Nor is it far off. This was in the Old Testament, friends. 
He said to them in the Old Testament, this commandment which I command you, is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven. Listen to this. That you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Who brought it to us? Come on, you know it. Jesus Christ. He brought it to us. He's the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Verse 14 says, And He came and He dwelled amongst us. It's not too far off. Nor is it beyond the sea that you would say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the Word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. There comes the thing. May do it. How do you do the word? You do it. You see, when Paul writes this down, he was actually quoting that passage there. He says, the word of faith which we preach to you. What happens after you do this? This is the do part. You confess. You confess. I've seen so many these days, you get people who, they come up and give you their testimony, and they, and they say, oh, when I woke up, I knew I was saved. And I go, where's the confession? Where is the realization of I'm a sinner? Where is coming to Christ and say, I repent of my sin? I'll tell you one thing. If you're going to start studying the Word, it says in the book of James, it's like a mirror. Have you read that passage? It's like a mirror. And you read the Word every day, you look into a mirror. And what do you see in the, in the Word? You see the image of Christ. The image of Christ is here. And now, I'm, what happens when you look in the, into a mirror? What happened this morning? I looked in there and I go, oh, where for where? <laughs> I'm going to confess it today, Kylie. I didn't shave the whole week. You can see it in the photos because I've got a grey beard and I've got a white skin. <laughs> but I looked in the mirror this morning and I go, oops. The mirror was telling me the image needs to change. So I took out my razor and I started doing the work. You know what happens in this? We see the image of Christ. And what do I see? Oops. I'm worse for wear. I need to change. That is the recipe. Read it. This is what happens here. You see, we reread it, you see, and then we confess. Look, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord, I thank Him that the day has come. The day has come. When I will make a new covenant, listen to this, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was husband to them, says the Lord. We are doing the, the communion table. What are we celebrating? The new covenant. He says there's a new covenant coming. Now verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Who will do all of this? God will. Who starts the salvation process? God does. Through His Spirit, through His Word. 
through His Spirit, through His Word. The Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, who came in a person, and Jesus Christ, the Son, who came in a person. That starts the work. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. They shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This is an Old Testament passage, yes? But it was written as a prophecy for after Christ, after the cross. Their sins couldn't be forgiven and remember no more before the cross. Before the cross, the blood only covered it, but the sin was still there. He had to come and die on the cross for us so that their sins be forgiven totally. Totally. I think we're going to stop it there for this morning. I think the Lord is. There's, there's so much we can take out of that. There's so much. I think this will be followed up with a second part of they walked away from Christ.